Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Scott Jolly. Scott is the owner and a founder of Site Consulting Specialists. Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So before you got into what you, what you are in now, what did you want to be as a child? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I was going to be a professional soccer player. Oh, actually. really? Yeah, I, uh, until I was in high school, really. I was pretty good. I got pretty lucky to be on uh, some pretty good teams growing up and have some good coaches. So, yeah, until, I mean, even into my late teens, I was, that was always my dream. <laughs> wow. Like, what was kind of the turning point where you sort of, you sort of kind of went in a different direction or, or how far did you take that? Yeah, so made it to junior college. Uh, I was the team of junior college played, uh, we won the national title. Wow. So we were pretty good. Like I said, I really, the defining moment for me, and this is more of a personal thing than a, a soccer thing was uh, my dad died when I was a senior in high school. And so that really kind of like sent my life in a much different direction. Uh, I didn't, I didn't respond really well personally to that. So it was, it was sudden and unexpected. So I wasn't like the ultimate thing, but that definitely put a, a kind of a speed bump in my life and kind of threw me off that course of becoming a professional athlete so yeah not to be like a downer but <laughs> no no i mean that that's life Think, things happen and sometimes you have to go through some stuff so at, at what point did you sort of kind of find a new direction or or sort of found sort of like i don't know like just a new path yeah it took me like i would say 22 i had a pretty impactful moment in my life I actually spent a few years in and out of jail, like surprisingly enough. I just didn't, again, I didn't handle my dad's death well and kind of went off deep end a little bit. And around 22, I kind of woke up and decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I started learning and learning about sales. And I kind of went full force into my career. Well, at that time, it was, I was working at a title and escrow company, actually. And so I just kind of learned, started learning more about marketing and sales and Turn, I really like turned my life around in the last 15 years or so from that point moving forward. Wow. Yeah. So what were the, so the, I mean, who are your early mentors? What, what sort of yeah. books did you read? Like, what did that look like that transformation? <laughs> Gosh, it was, so I, I put myself through outpatient recovery in, yeah. in, uh, in California. There's a, there's a great medical program called Kaiser Healthcare, right? Yeah. And they, they have a great outpatient program. So 18 months of sobriety. I went through like, you know, 12-step meetings for like two and a half years. Started going to my local church. I started reading the Bible. I started reading a lot of self-help books, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Tony mm. Robbins, and things like that that really kind of helped me think about life a little bit differently and think what was potential. And then some of my first mentors, I got really lucky that my business partner at the time knew this guy that's really involved in transformational work. 
Mm-hmm. I'm really part of the like kind of the, he's in his sixties now. He's a great. He's still uh, like he's like my uncle, and he really kind of introduced me to the curiosity of life and how to be curious and how to you know set aside a lot of stoicism. I don't know if you ever studied stoicism, but looking at life through kind of like that lens and realizing that uh, we all have a story that we tell and we can either hold on to that story if it's leading us down the path that we like, or we can write a new story essentially. And so what being in that, that space where you're being curious about, okay, if this is my life, I have to own it, take responsibility for it. With that comes maybe a lot of some things that are unwanted, but also like the opportunity that I can do what I want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So at what point did you start to get momentum? You, so you had different roles. You had an early sales role. Mm-hmm. And then I think you had a few executive positions. When did you gain momentum in what you were doing? Yeah. So I really was hit hard in the 08, 09 recession. I was young. I was in my uh, mid, mid-20s uh, when I started my first company, uh, which was a real estate investment and construction uh, maintenance company. And so that was actually really, uh, I broke my leg in late 2009 playing soccer and I ended up having three surgeries. So I kind of got this compounding hits really like 2008 hits, my leg breaks. I ended up closing the company and moving to Southern California. And after like three or four years of getting back into just normal working for someone life, went down, worked for a paving contractor, had a lot of experience in concrete. So I understood the business really well. And after about three years of working with that guy, the owner was a great sales mentor, taught me a lot about the business of asphalt and concrete. And so I would say after about three, we were able to take that company from when I showed up in 2010, about $4 million in gross revenue. And we grew it when I left to just under $15 million and took about five years. So I would say... The second, third year I was at that paving company, really learned the business, started to see some results. We started to build a team. We brought new guys on board and we did really well because we we didn't like a lot of the other project managers and estimators in the business. So we hired from outside. Mm. Uh, We hired sale guys from outside the business that had strong character qualities that we, that we thought would be a good fit for our team. And then we just trained them on our business. And it took, we got to the point where every, most every guy uh, that we brought on was within two years, could sell somewhere between a million and $2 million worth of work. We were able to recruit one other guy from in the business. And we did that over five years and grew the business. And we were able to maintain profit margins. So it was, that was where I think really professionally, I saw that, I could do it, mm-hmm. right? I started to have some success, developed really great client relations, really learned my market, which is property management, mm-hmm. whether it's HOA, apartment. We do a lot more actually in industrial, commercial, and in school districts. So I kind of just started to understand that, the thought process and the role that those, those positions require and how our services, whether as a consultant now or even as a contractor, how those impacted their regular workflow and just tried to make the process easier for them. And so that's where we really started getting momentum is diving into really... Because our property manager now as a consultant is really not very different 
from Denver to Chicago or Texas or Southern California, right? Like they, the, the things they do, the person, obviously, the personality, very different. It changes from person to person. Mm-hmm. The role itself, the process that they go through for approvals and, and budgets and capital expenses being returned to the investors from the tenants, right? Because the tenants are uh, required to pay some of that. So learning that whole beginning to end is really where I started to gain more momentum. It's kind of a long answer for maybe a short question. No, no, it's, it's great. So what made you decide to start the firm that you have now that does the consulting? I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the request of a client, ah. actually. I had a client I only did work as a contractor when I worked for the paving company. I was only doing work in Southern California. And they said, Hey, we need help in Denver. We need help in Seattle. And so I said, Yeah, let me let me see what I can do. They were looking for a consultant, but they didn't want to and the world I live in, this asset management world, right? This large most of our clients are thankfully like multi-billion asset managers at home hundreds of assets all over the country and they they needed help when they didn't have that person but they didn't want to pay for an engineer like a civil engineer right and they're not trying to build a whole new building so they don't necessarily need it it's a maintenance item and so we help them kind of develop with fit repair methods to their asset strategy and kind of help them implement that across the country and so the client called and was like hey we want to hire a consultant I was like yeah there's not and there really isn't. In the paving side, there's a lot of roofing consultants, as you probably know. There's not a lot of paving consultants. So mm. we, we kind of fell into the niche in that particular realm. We just did paving for the first three or four years until we started adding roofing and HVAC and, and all these other things. We always did uh, concrete ADA and paving mm-hmm. uh, for the first three years. And then last year, we added roofing once I found the right person, really. So that's, uh, yeah. So what, what are the common challenges you run across with uh, the stuff that you're working with your clients on? Sure. So one of the common problems we run up against is working with them to identify their asset strategy and their budget. And that's not the, and there's this, so this is kind of like this weird equation where, okay, you've got asset strategy, you've got budget, You've got the lease on these things dictates who pays for it. Mm-hmm. So they're, and they, and in the lease determines how much they can bill per year. Sometimes they don't know if the tenant's going to pay for it or if the investor's going to pay for it and then back charge. Cause what they'll do is they'll back charge the tenant, but maybe the tenant can't pay for all at once. So they amortize it out over four or five years or maybe even the life, the life expectancy. So, you know, we expect the asphalt to last 10 years or 15 years, depending on what repair model we're doing or the roof as well, right? We're doing a new coating. We got a, a 10 year, sometimes they're amortized out whatever that warranty is or whatever that life expectancy is. So that, that is probably the, what I find to be the biggest challenge and the most fun that I have is this kind of crazy, crazy mental algorithm of, okay, this repair will last this long. This is their budget. This is their use. This is the, because retail is very different than industrial, right? From a traffic perspective. So that is one. Construction management, I find, has been one of our, our, probably our second biggest hurdle in regards to 
educating the clients on what the real deliverable is. And so like I'll use roofing as a great example because sure. the common, if you get a roofing proposal for coding from a contractor, they're going to put so many gallons per square, essentially is the language that they use, right? But that's not quantifiable to an asset manager or property manager, really, unless they're going to stand there and watch them pour every single gallon, right? The reality is we want to finish thickness. And so that's what we can actually a measurable quantity. So same thing in asphalt, we want that measured thickness. And so teaching our clients how, if, if they're not going to hire us to do it, which is actually really fine. I hope they're, I want to empower them to understand that, hey, if you, if you collect the weight tickets or you go back after the roofing project and, and, and take a sample and measure it, like these are the things that should really be happening to ensure that what you're paying, you're getting what you pay for. What else is budgets? Honestly, for us, especially as we travel the country, it's not very different from place to place, but it can. It can vary. The pricing in Denver is different than the pricing in Seattle, and the pricing in Seattle is different than Arizona. And the standards are different too. So when you're talking to an asset manager that's maybe based out of LA, but oversees 40 or 50 properties, you know, they don't understand why we're only doing two inches removal in Arizona. Well, that's actually the Maricopa County standard for the county, right? So that's two inches. It's because Arizona has, it's dry, right? And super hard ground. And, and I think identifying which repair method is going to be best, whether you're and again, that comes back to the location. Some locations, they do a lot of spray foam, right? Some locations, they do TPO or PVC, whatever it is. So it just depends on understanding the environment, literal environment that that building is in, that asset is going to be in, and what is the best match for that asset and that asset strategy. So we're kind of, how long do we want to last? How much money do we have? Play this game. What are the now the material options? Really starting. I think understanding that we want to give the power back to the property managers and the asset managers. So let's start with what our wants and needs are before we bring a contractor in, right? And I think there's a misconception. The last one would be the misconception in contractors, which is that, well, if you're a roofing contractor, you do all kinds of roofs. And that's just not true. Some do shingles, some do metal roofs, some do coatings. They're very different contractors. They have very different tools, very different skill sets. So I think identifying all these things and then thinking, this is the direction we want to go in. Now let's go find contractors that are good at completing this type of work. Mm. How, do you, how do you sort of keep in touch with all the things that are changing? Because you talked about regulatory things. You talked about materials and all these other factors, how do you sort of stay in touch with that yourself or through a, through a team? Yeah, so our team is very active in a couple of different organizations where we stay in touch. Like I, for, for roofing, waterproofing, IBEC is really probably one of the largest. used to be Roofing Consultants International, I think, RCI. And, and they do a good job of updating. And then the material manufacturers actually do a pretty good job of updating us on the, the longevity of the materials, what's changing. They're coming out with new materials. Sometimes that includes new processes. It's very similar in saving or it's in paving, sorry, whether they're using, it's called APA, the American Paving, Paving Association. They do a pretty good job, have courses, have some certifications. Honestly, there's a lot of great solutions on social media. 
There's a lot, a lot of those associations on LinkedIn are, are posting information and articles and we share a lot of information with other consultants. We kind of believe in the, we're not competing. Our job is to raise the standard in the industry. And so we work together with other consultants, people in our industry and say, hey, what are you doing? What has worked? Talking to them. Really just to provide a higher level finished product and service to the, to the industry. Yeah, what I always liked about your approach is you mentioned it, your use of social media, yeah. especially LinkedIn. Can you, can you talk to me about that a bit? Yeah, I love social media. I, gotta, I primarily use LinkedIn now because especially with everything that's going on, I've had to disassociate from some of the other ones. Uh, <laughs> and LinkedIn is great because it's like very few people talk politics, right? Very few people get involved with the uh, social. It's very business oriented. And so I try to provide value in what our industry is. Most of the, my contacts on LinkedIn are asset managers, property managers, HOA managers, school facilities managers. So really, I, there's a, we, we, I know a lot and I know that not everyone is going to want to use our service and I appreciate that. And so my, my whole shtick is like, okay, if you're not going to use us, let me just listen a little bit and I'll educate you on how you can do it better. Because uh, we live in this society where we have this mindset, jack of all, especially in construction. This is, construction is very much jack of all trades, master of none. There's a lot of people. And, and in construction, it's the little things that tend to make a huge difference. So I post, I try to post every day, a little something either about the economy, about business. And, but most of it, I'll say 50% or more is about construction management, about a material, about a bidding process, whether it's in the bidding process or the installation process, that little things that they could look out for that will make sure they, they have better, longer lasting projects. Yeah. Describe your best performing post, the post that got the most feedback or the most discussion or the most responses? I just had this one, actually. <laughs> videos. Videos yeah. do the best. I will tell you that. Videos and pictures always do the best. I've had a few videos that like compared one uh, two. Recently, I'll say this one. I just posted the other day and it was really like, I was kind of worked out and I was <laughs> hold back and I was like, this is staff. You know, we were, we were CM, we were helping a client out. They didn't actually hire us to do CM on this particular project. They were new client at the time. So I don't know if they really, I didn't do a good job explaining the value of the CM, but things went sideways. And so they started calling us like, Hey, can you help us out? And so we just had a call before this, this zoom actually trying to figure out how much tons they put down. So I posted on LinkedIn. I wasn't specific. I'm not calling out the contract. I'm just saying, Hey, here's how you measure. And, and so I put a picture of a depth gauge for paving. And then we were out there and we measured, you're supposed to, in paving, you're supposed to pave at a thicker section because you roll it and compact it. So in order to achieve two inches compacted, you have to pave it at two and a half. So the paving operator, the paving machine operator has a depth gauge. And so when we had him raise it to two and a half inches, because you only had it at two inches and put it back in the asphalt, you could see the gap. And that was before it was compacted. So that post actually had, is, is doing really well. So I think, you know, pointing out these things. And the other one was when we compare the products. When, you can com- when I've compared the products side by side, and we've done that with 
roofing coatings, silicone, acrylic, or even uh, slurry uh, paving coatings. We have slurry or just uh, seal coat. So understanding those differences, I get a lot of traction on those. When you can compare things side by side or point something out that is easy, those do the best. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? I do. I still play a little bit of soccer. Mm. I mainly just pick up these days. Do a lot of hiking, camping, and backpacking. And in fact, I just got back from a four-day backpacking trip in Northern California where we had 30 to 40 miles in four days and, and camped. I also snowboard. I grew up on the West Coast, so high school in Oregon. and lived in California for the last 17 years, so I just recently re- relocated to the Reno Lake Tahoe area. And so it's a lot of skiing and snow, learning skiing because my I have two little ones and they're learning skiing. So I, I've never been on skis before until last year. <laughs> so I grew up snowboarding. So that those are probably working out too. I keep a pretty disciplined like workout and eating regimen. It's like I get up every morning at 4 a.m. and read and I meditate and work out. So I like to have fun like an hour every day. I have my own. It's funny because COVID, right? Everyone's like, home gym, home gym, home gym. You can't find any home gym equipment. But I'm like, yeah, I started collecting this stuff like uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> no effect here, but those are probably my biggest hobbies. Me spending time with my kids and family. I do enjoy traveling. Yeah. Even during COVID, we've been able to take some road trips, visit some national parks. We're headed to Seattle. Kind of we're combining, my wife and I were combining a, a road work trip uh, yeah. next week. We've got uh, three projects from Seattle to Portland down to Southern California to Northern California. So we're just going to kind of make this loop and, and kick off all these projects. And, and so traveling was fun. We actually took three months off a couple of years ago, a sabbatical. And we drove around the, com- the country, camped, went to Italy for a couple of weeks. And really just that's, I would love to do more of that. Oh, that sounds awesome. Is there anything that I should have asked you? I always tell people, if you really spend time thinking about what you want in life and then actually pursue it, it doesn't, it's it's probably not going to happen tomorrow, but Tony Robbins has this quote, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10. And, And that philosophy has, I can see now those books I started reading 15 years ago. I read more now than I, I did when I first started 15 years. I listen more now, podcasts and things like that. I'm constantly renewing my own mind, right? Filling it with information so that I can stay positive and stay motivated. And, and, and so just, I, I'm very ambitious, very, I got big goals. And so letting go of not having them maybe in the timeline that I thought they would, but knowing that, Statistically speaking, I'm probably going to live to be about 80 years old. That's the average life expectancy. And so if I just keep chipping away at it, then I don't get too overwhelmed and learn a lot. Life is about learning. Those are things that like that this free swing. Those are things that if people were to walk away, I hope they would walk away with that. Wonderful. Well, you certainly live the example. Not only consume the content, but show that through your own life, you've, you've made that huge transformation and I'm sure people got a lot out of that. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us. 
Yeah, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also, want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.